0: Well, let's go ahead and jump in today. Today, it's time to address the elephant in the room. Today, we're going to talk about the impact to the global church that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on us. And what happened? Why did it happen? What was the state of the church just prior to the pandemic, when it got going in late 2019, and what were the effects? And as we get through all of this, it might seem terrifying. It is. It might seem scary. It might make you angry, I hope it does, but then we're going to take a look at what do we do now, what's next, and look at our model, which is the early church from the first to let's say sixth centuries of our common era, and just how vastly different the church of today looks from that. Our goal for today is to look at the church from its very beginnings, to look at the solutions they had to the problems we face today and see if we can apply some of those same solutions to our own lives and our own church so that we can continue to not only thrive, uh, survive, but to thrive. Well, if uh, you're living under a rock, and I know you're not, um, you are probably keenly aware that over the past 18 months, the church has undergone massive disruption. It's terrifying. We've been gutted. No church on earth has been immune from this. In fact, I cannot find a single example of a church with higher attendance today than just before COVID. And so what does that church look like? What did it look like in, in this case, September? uh, uh, And we'll get there in just a second, September of 2019. And what did that church look like? How does it look today? And let's draw the contrast, but you can see just how crazy things have gotten. Pastors preaching to empty rooms governments barricading, physically barricading through the use of armed forces, entry of Christians into their places of worship. Churches that, these grandiose buildings that have become places where you can stick your face on a pew, what? And yes, if you're looking closely here at the bottom right hand, that is a pastor performing an infant baptism with a water pistol. This is how far we've fallen. I hope it shocks you. Well, we know that the effects have been devastating. What did that church look like? We need to understand it to exactly what has failed so that we can fix it. What did the church look like in September of 2019, just prior to the pandemic? Well, this is my list. I have a feeling decades even centuries from now scholars will pour over the um, the data from our era to try and reconstruct what happened it would certainly be something that would take much longer than the 40 minutes I am planning for today but this is a brief overview I would say what does the church look like today and how it is so vastly different from the past well first of all it looks like this (laughs) a highly structured once a week entertainment venue that's a show and I like to make this analogy today that the church has become a movie theater. Just look around, folks. Like, literally, look around. You're in a movie theater. All the hallmarks of a movie theater, and we have trained ourselves behaviorally to act like we're in a movie theater. What's a movie theater look like? Well, it's exactly what you think. It's dark. There's a stage or a screen in which you consume entertainment passively. You attend a movie with no expectation of interaction engagement. You are there simply as a passive bystander to consume entertainment to be served. <clears throat> it's a dark room. What happens when you walk into a movie theater? It's dark. What do you do? You sit as far away from everyone else as possible. <laughs> Unless you're me and they sit right in front of me. I don't know why. Uh, maybe I smell good. I'm not sure. But uh <clears throat> Well, what else do you do? You're quiet. Shh, don't talk. Don't talk to another human being. That's really bad. What else, you slip in late. Um, A lot of people will actually come late to the movie uh, theater because they don't want to watch the ads, they don't want to watch the previews for the other movies. They might get there 15, 20 minutes late. They slip in, unseen, sit down, consume the movie, and guess what, they leave before it's even over. Slip out before the credits are even over and the whole time not engaging at all. That is what the church in the 21st century has become. It's much more than that though church has become this, this venue for very large impersonal gatherings. Uh, how many Bible students graduate from seminary to become a pastor, and their primary goal is to be the next megachurch pastor? I want to be the next megachurch leader. And thus, this, this move towards these vast... Oh, sorry. Yeah, go back. Sorry. This move towards this vast, these vast gatherings... Um, <clears throat> Uh, it creates this environment where you can't have personal fellowship with others. I mean, you're just basically consuming uh, the, the show. And the, the attendance becomes the primary goal. I can't emphasize this enough, that churches today are doing everything they can to attract the widest audience they can, maybe, maybe originally out of some kernel of, you know, um, coming from the right place, but it becomes this thing that they will not threaten their attendance for any reason whatsoever. So do not risk any kind of action or program that might scare people off. And thus attendance, not the gospel, is the primary goal of, of church. And in fact, this model that church is just this thing we do on Sunday for an hour, okay? Show up on Sunday morning, I, I do my church thing, I consume my entertainment, and I go home. <clears throat> the other thing that's happened, and again, some of these might be something that you see every day, don't even think about, this idea of a focus on a single charismatic leader. There's one guy at the top. He's the guy on the screen. He's the the big face, the big personality that's driving the whole thing. Well, in this system, you can see how fellowship becomes optional, even discouraged through the system itself. The structure of the system does not encourage it. And especially this idea of this this growing megachurch trend, um, there is a complete disconnect between the leadership at the top and all of the other people that are attending. Of course, that's the way it has to be. Um, No offense to my buddy Joel Osteen, there is no way, and he would even admit this, there is no way for Joel to interact one-on-one and have a personal relationship with each of the 52,000 people that attend his church services every week. He just can't. But more importantly than that, and this is something I think is is completely... um, is, is completely forgotten today is this idea that, of a focus on the breakup of social units when you attend church activities. I want you to just think for a minute. Um, <clears throat> if you are a family and you show up to church and you have your spouse uh, and you have your children, what happens as soon as you get in the door? Split you up. Children go one way, adults go the other. Even the children are usually split up into separate um, classes or services. Uh, the adults go do their thing Today, I would, I would venture to say that the vast majority of us do not spend enough quality time with our entire family doing church. How many of you have sat with your kids in worship? How many have sat with your kids in Bible study? Or in prayer? I've I, I made the comment here in the first service that this is really important. Your children are watching you for what to do. And many of us don't like to admit it or acknowledge the fact that you are modeling behavior for others. Now, it may not be your children. If you don't have children, it might be your friends. It might be um, your nieces or your nephews. It might be uh, other family members. You are modeling behavior for them, but how can you model it if they never see you engage in it? The other thing this happens is, this idea of multiple services, we're very reluctant to spawn new churches because we want to have big fancy buildings, and so what we end up doing is a compromise is having multiple services. We do it here at Pathway, it's very common. But what ends up happening? You have half the church that never interacts with the other half, especially if you have a dedicated service you go to. I will admit, and and I am very guilty of this, I know very few people in the nine o'clock service, and I'm an elder. Why? Well, I teach at nine o'clock. And so my, my Sunday service, worship service, is the ten thirty. just 30 separ- It's a natural separation that prevents people from getting to know each other. And I want you to also uh, know um, our leadership is looking at the engagement numbers for Pathway in attendance. We do keep attendance records here. Some very startling statistics have arisen. The first one is <clears throat> over half of the people that call Pathway Church do not attend regularly. Um, in fact, about 50%, it's a bell curve, attend about twice a month. Now, if you think about that, that's every other week, okay? If you're attending every other week, and you might be attending different services when you do, 9 o'clock or 10 30, how are you ever, ever going to form a close relationship with others? in that scenario. And remember, again, here's another startling statistic. About 60 to 70% of the people who call Pathway home, this is their only engagement with their Pathway brothers and sisters during the week. Not engaged in small groups, not engaged in ministry or worship, outreach. This is it. So how can you form that close bond with your brothers and sisters if this is all you're relying on? Now we have the era of the online church. Goodness gracious. And again, another natural separation between the people who are attending online regularly and the people who are in person. It is not conducive to fellowship. While the structure of the church is certainly one of the big problems that's happened over the past few years, I think the bigger problem is the breakdown in the core beliefs and practices of those who call themselves Christians. It's just a a matter of fact. In fact, um, I would invite you to go and look up the websites of any of the modern, kind of local, uh, big churches, uh, popular churches, and look for their their statement of belief on their website. Now, if you can find it, you get a Snickers bar. (laughs) I will give you a Snickers bar, because it's very hard to find, if not impossible. If you do find it, guess what you're going to read? A maybe two or three sentence statement, very bland, very generic, doesn't say anything, that really is kind of, you know, this attempt to kind of either hide the true doctrine of the church or what I think in, in, is more likely is to just not, they don't have a doctrine, uh, nothing of substantial worth, and thus it's really hollow to begin with. <laughs> this has happened over the past, I'd say, 20, 30, 40 years. You are being co-opted by political ideologies, both internal and external. The, the politics of our nation, of our world, of our state, has infused the church like a virus and is causing plenty of separation, plenty of division on our own. And in fact, every political party is also guilty of this. Every political party tries to co-opt Christianity to say, if you are a real Christian, you should vote for our platform. Wow. Scary stuff. And because of that, because of this, this now polluting of our Christian beliefs and our core doctrines with political ideologies that are secular and have nothing to do with the gospel, nothing to do with Jesus' message, it becomes infused with many anti-Christian beliefs and principles. Um, I'm sorry to say it, but uh, I have been looking at these other churches, and I've been looking at some of the programs they have. There was one church, and I'm not going to say it, in which they held a, a camp for alternative um, <clears throat> Uh, Minded people, which is fine in itself. But one of the uh, the FAQs they had for this this special camp was, is this going to be a religious camp? (laughs) Guess what the church said on their website. No, we will not discuss any religion at this camp. In fact, we believe it's good not to discuss religion because of all the people who have been burned by religious ideology and practices in the past, and because many of our members are atheists, and we are fine with that. Well, that's not church. And probably the worst of all, this move towards moral relativism. Look, we keep, we keep saying this, we say, and I'm a staunch um, you know, uh, enemy of universalism, this idea that all paths lead to God. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a Buddhist, a Muslim. It doesn't matter, because how could a loving God send anyone to hell? You're going to heaven no matter what, no matter your religious practice, no matter your belief, no matter your actions. This has crept, this is probably the biggest threat to the modern Christian church of any of these problems because it invalidates everything that we know and everything that we hold dear. You only have to look to some of the most popular Christian authors that are out there today. And how many people have heard of Rob Bell? Just curious. Has anyone heard? Okay. Rob is a Christian pastor, megachurch founder, who has come out staunchly against the, the belief that Jesus is the only way to God. He advocates openly that all paths lead to God and, in fact, says that the Bible is a big problem in our world today um, because he feels it is full of error and, and should not be believed. He is even happily quoted as saying this, but sometimes when I hear people quote the Bible, I just want to throw up. Well, that's the world we live in how far we have come, folks. How far we have come down the toilet. Well, now, in September, October, November of 2019, COVID hit. And and it is not so hard to see how this entire house of cards collapsed on itself. The whole thing is is collapsing today under its own weight, the hollowness of it. Well... I think it's really important to kind of draw some parallels between how the church of the past dealt with global pandemics and how they dealt with it today. Here's the elephant. If we could go to the next slide here. I want you to really understand this. The church of the first through the sixth centuries faced some of the most devastating pandemics the human race has ever seen, period. I have a PhD in disease. I know what I'm talking about you have never seen the Black Death. You haven't. It still exists in parts of the world, and there's probably some people in our congregation here that can attest to it. Ebola, the Black Death, they're very similar in their mortality, you've never seen that. We, we exist in a bubble, folks, in the 21st century in the West. Our medical miracles are marvelous. Say that five times fast. <clears throat> we have no idea how this is. Can you imagine? The, pl- the plague of Justinian, Um, And that's probably a low estimate there. Probably killed half of every single human who got it. Every other person died. Well, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, what did the church do? What was the church's response in the past? Completely different than today. This is documented historically. As soon as these plagues broke out, you saw an immediate and unified call to action by the Christian community. They jumped in to help. They went directly to the communities in which the people were dying and helped them. They cleaned up their filth. They touched their sores. They cleaned up their vomit. They made them comfortable for their last days. They got them food. They got them water. They didn't ever hesitate. They made their decisions based on faith. They believed that the Holy Spirit was the being to consult to drive their actions and their beliefs. The Holy Spirit said, don't worry. It's going to work out one way or the other. How many people in here are going to die? Raise your hand. If you don't, I want to talk to you. (laughs) I would like to drink what you're drinking. There's no promise you're going to live forever. I joke in my class, death runs in my family. It's 100%. (laughs) They stepped out in faith knowing that it was the gospel that had to be preached, not their fear of the world that they needed to put paramount to everything else. And here is the most important part. The churches never stopped meeting, period. Forget the Roman persecutions. Forget the communist attacks on religion of the 20th century. Forget the Protestant Reformation. The church never... Forget all of these plagues of the first six centuries. The church never stopped meeting, Now, they may have had to go underground because of of government persecution and they met in secret. They still met. They met often. They always met. Well, what was the effects of that? All the Christians died. No, that's not what happened. The gospel was preached. (coughs) Amen. Amen. Come on. (laughs) The gospel was preached. I cannot also overemphasize the effect, the positive effect this had on non-believers. One of the reasons that Christianity spread so rapidly in the third century of our common era is because the non-believers saw what these Christians were doing in the communities that had the most destitute, the most poor, the sickest people, the most marginalized. They were going into those communities, primarily in large cities, scary places to begin with, and they were doing their Christian service, helping others. The Roman pagan Roman Emperor Julian in the third century, I think it was during the Cyprian Plague, actually made a comment to his own troops and his own staff, those Christians are making us look terrible. What are you guys doing? They are going out into these communities and helping these people that are desperately ill. You guys got to get your act together because otherwise I'm going to have a mutiny on my hands and the people are going to revolt and the church growth was explosive. It grew more in the third century per capita than at any other time in human history. I want you, you've already read the right side, I'm just gonna go through it. You know what the, the response has been. Look, I don't care what you think the mortality rate for COVID is, it ain't as bad as the Black Death, period. And even if it were, who cares? Who cares? But the response of the church in the modern era has been vastly different than that of Christianity in the past. What happened? It happened exactly what you know happened. The wavering Christian response was the very first one. Immediately, it became a political issue and divided churches. People from within the church, got very mad if they were gonna meet. The the churches or Christians that continued to meet were ostracized from their community. They were blocked physically, continuing to being blocked physically by governments around the world. And those who didn't meet were attacked by those who did. Immediate rift within the Christian community. And largely based on fear. It was fear-based decisions, not faith. Not faith. And reliance on governments and experts. Not the Holy Spirit who drove the decision-making of Christians. Well, what's the effect? The effect is exactly what you would expect. We have seen the most dramatic drop in Christian attendance at churches in human history. In human history. In your lifetimes, you've seen that. And it's continuing. Churches abandoned. Churches closed forcibly. What are the effects of that? Well, the effects are exactly what you would expect. The gospel has been muzzled. Gospel is muzzled. I don't hear the gospel being preached. I hear fear. I hear hate. I read my social media and see people attacking each other. People I thought were of the same fold as me, attacking each other for this. How dare you meet? How dare you not meet? Why aren't you listening to the government? It knows best. Gospel is not being preached, folks. And I can't overemphasize the effect of negative effect on non-believers around the world. We are looking terrible, <laughs> terrible to the rest of the world. I don't know about you, I am not modeling behavior that is going to convince other people that the gospel is true, and that they have nothing to worry about. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you will spend eternity in paradise with your creator. Is that the message we're sending? Because if all of this is just a show, if all of this is just an entertainment venue, once a week, and none of that stuff about eternity is true, then I... This is all I have, and I will do anything to protect it. Give myself a few more years. I want you to know that Pathway has not been immune from this. You may look around and say, oh, Pathway's fine. Look, we're meeting again. Look at all these people in here. Uh, no. As it turns out, looking at the attendance records, of all of the people who were on the Pathway roster just two years ago, 60%... Have disappeared. What can we do? Ah, now you're really brought down. You're like, geez, this sucks. <laughs> what a depressing conversation. It should be. I hope it strikes you at your heart. It convicts me. What do we do now? The good news is we have a model to use to move forward. We're going to look at the early church. How did the early church function? What was its structure is very different than today. What can we learn from it to move forward? Um, Studying the early church, we have some major categories here that we're going to talk about. First of all, this focus on small group fellowship. It wasn't a huge show. It wasn't a mass entertainment. It was small group fellowship, intimate and personal. It was a place of integrated worship. Everything was integrated. Worship, prayer, Bible study, eating together, service and outreach. All are hallmarks of the early church that we're going to take a look at briefly today. Okay. First, we're going to start with fellowship. And I can't, again, overemphasize... I know I say that all the time. can't overemphasize the fact that fellowship was the core fundamental practice of the early church. It wasn't Bible study. It wasn't hitting people over the head with a Bible. It wasn't, um, it wasn't worship. It was fellowship. Number one thing you did was meet, typically in a home, somewhere between one and five families worth of people. It would be a mix Everyone was there simultaneously. Men, women, children, parents, grandparents, grandchildren, believers, non-believers, all together at the same time in the same room, fellowshipping, playing games, laughing, crying, telling stories, loving, building each other up very unstructured. There was no agenda. Folks, you didn't show up and there was like, here's the list, here's what we're doing today. It never happened. You just show up. You might show up and immediately break into song. You might, you might show up and immediately we're going to do Bible study, you know. Um, and that's another thing. This was, a, this was a decentralized leadership model. You didn't show up and there was one face that ran everything. That never happened. Not in the early church. Many people of various levels of maturity and knowledge and wisdom and age would be teaching and guiding and, and worshiping and, and teaching new songs or teaching Bible passages, men and women, both. <clears throat> but here's the thing. The social group has been maintained. Your kids got to look at you and watch you and learn from you. They learned how to pray from you. They learned how to read the Bible from you and you could monitor their upbringing. You could monitor their growth, so that if something happened, you could intervene immediately, right? It was daily. This was not a Sunday morning at nine <laughs> Thanks. Sunday was, of course, a revered day. Um, on the calendar, you met every day, every single day, usually at night, sometimes more than once a day, but it was, it was almost always daily. Um, <clears throat> you'd be done with work, sometimes you worked with the same people, you'd go home. And you would meet at night and it was a very festive gathering it was celebrations um the christians of the first century celebrated everything birthdays um in the beginning jewish holidays because many of them were from the jewish community um you would celebrate all the jewish festivals you might celebrate other secular festivals that weren't directly in contradiction with your beliefs the the christians of the first century celebrated funerals in fact People of the era remarked how weird it was these Christians were celebrating funerals. Why were Christians celebrating funerals? Just say it. What's that? Life begins. You, life begins. Death is not the end. And people thought, this is so weird. What do you mean you can live forever in paradise with your Creator? Let's read the Bible, Scott. There he is. Hey, brother. Okay, so the point is um, we can look to the early church. We are also going to look to the Word of God to understand how to move forward. Go ahead, sir. Let us consider how to start one another to love and to do works, not inviting them in each together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I, uh, <clears throat> I teach the Bible. The important thing about the Bible is it is the Word of God. That's the important part. The fact that that book, or books, contains the truth of God that he is trying to convey to you. The reason we're reading this today is to say, what does God tell us is important through his holy scriptures. Okay, let's go to the next one. Next one is worship. Again, you're going to start to sense a theme here. Worship was integrated in everything they did. Men, women, children. Yes, there were instruments. (laughs) Uh, sometimes not. <clears throat> sometimes they would just burst into singing, composed of all kinds of worship, praise. It would be song. It would be dancing. Yes, they danced too. Sorry, Kevin Bacon. They sung. They did poetry. They would read, they would read hymns. They would read scripture. All of it was considered worship. It wasn't just a guy with a guitar and a, and a drum. You have to to expand your idea of what worship means. It means means praising and and being in joy with your creator, right? Um, Other parts of worship that have been completely kind of lost on us today is this idea that obedience was a form of worship. Fellowship was a form of worship. You are thanking God and worshiping your creator by being obedient to his teachings, by growing and maturing, by meeting regularly, by doing what he told you to do through his holy scriptures. Again, this was all part of the festivals, celebrations. It was very exciting. It was electrifying. And this is what drew so many people to the faith. Okay, Scott, you want to read this passage too, please? Colossians 3. The message of Christ, well, you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through songs, hymns, songs from the spirit, singing to God with gratitude in the heart. And whatever you do, whether, Thank you, sir. Okay. I think Joel is next. Let's see. You're going to do great. We love you, Joel. Everyone give it up for Joel. Come on. Woo! The next thing I think is very important is this idea of faithful and effective prayer. I think prayer has been lost on our current generation what it's for. I, I'm famous for saying prayer, God is not a vetting machine. God is not a vending machine, folks. He's not just there when you want a Diet Coke and you need something from him. Well, I've tried everything else on my own. I haven't talked to you in a long time, but I really need this thing. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe um, I'm sick. I need help. Maybe it's money. Please give that to me. Amen. (laughs) That is not the point of prayer. Prayer is primarily focused for you to develop a deeper relationship with your Creator. Period. Period. You are created in the image of God, Ken Hockmuth. How awesome is that? Laura Freeman, you are created in the image of God. I, I had a conversation, a, a private conversation with someone, a young person very recently, about this conflict that they've been having about their personality, <clears throat> about their interests, um, about their views on certain things in the world. And the question was, you know, it, it was kind of a comment was, they, didn't, they found it very difficult to change who they were to be like me or Dan Hudson. And, and my comment to them was, there is no expectation that you have to be like someone else. Roger Howard, God is happy that you are Roger Howard and not Brian Freeman. Praise God. (laughs) Praise God. Right? Kelsey Hudson, God is so happy to get to know you. His beautiful daughter, who is different than Roger, is different than Ken. He wants to get to know you personally. Your likes, your dislikes, your struggles, your strengths. Your weaknesses, what you want out of this world. That's prayer, folks. That's prayer. What an awesome opportunity you have to talk to your Creator personally and directly every day and night and tell Him about you. And here's the other great thing about prayer it's a two way street. It's a two way street. This is so hard, and I've been trying to train myself, and I'm trying to help others to understand that listening during prayer is just as important as talking. How many people pray right before they go to bed at night? It's common. I know you do. I know you do, and it's fine. What I'm saying is that's not a bad thing. What I'm saying is I think it's also good to try and, excuse me, pray at other periods of the day when you have some time um, alone with the lights on, sitting up, in order so that you can not only pray to God but have time to listen for his response and not fall asleep, like I would do. Listening to God's response is really hard. It's tricky, I get it. Um, The idea is you pray and you spend your time talking to God, but then you spend some time, minutes, many minutes, just close your eyes and listen. Empty out everything else from your mind and listen. What do you think God is telling you right now? Focus on it. Listen. Focus. Practice doing that. That's your homework for this week. You have one thing to do, and that's to go out and practice listening during prayer. Okay? What else do I have to talk about here? Uh, uh, Okay, I think that's good. Why don't we go directly to the Bible study? Wait. Scott, then Joel. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus Woo! Pray without ceasing. You don't have to say amen. (laughs) You don't have to start with, dear Heavenly Father, bless my uncle's uh, heart. Um, My uncle um, uh, went to seminary um, to become a pastor, and he was a great guy. Uh, When we would get together for family meals, he would always start the meal with the most elaborate kind of old English prayer thou and thee and thy this it was heavily polished and it sounded uh, good I had no idea what he was saying (laughs) and you know what you don't have to do that you don't have to do that just be yourself I'm very authentic with God I I tell people um, I just start telling him stuff right out of the blue I don't start some big elaborate thing it's certainly not a script and I listen I'm honest sometimes I say things to him I would never say to another human being he can take it he's a very mature person just talk to him. It doesn't have to be ceasing. It's always, always, and giving thanks, this idea that we start with giving thanks, we start with worship, we start on a good foot, the joyous heart, uh, and then we get into the stuff that we might need. Okay, let's go to the next one here. This is my, this is, (laughs) yeah, this is my soapbox. I'm standing on it, right? Bible study was a core activity of the early church. Full stop. Now, in the first century, of course, because the Christian community grew out of the Jewish community, that would be the Hebrew Bible or the the Greek version of that. They would read the Jewish scriptures Uh, over time as people like Paul and and Timothy and and John uh, and Peter. And, of course, the Gospels were written. Those would start to circulate. The stories of Jesus would start to circulate. And that would also be read. This was a core activity of the early church. It was not something someone did on their own. (laughs) <laughs> um, in antiquity, people never read in silence. I know that sounds weird to say that. No one would ever pick up a piece of paper and just... It's, it's weird to understand. You always read out loud. When you read something, you would read it out loud. And, and one reason for that was because so many people couldn't read. You were usually reading in a corporate setting with many people. Who couldn't read, you would read it to them. Bible study was a communal activity. It's also a shared practice. There wasn't just one smart person... There's many people at various levels of maturity and knowledge of the Holy Scriptures who would be teaching, men and women, older people, younger people. Everyone was involved with this. And again, you see the, the theme here. You know, It would be integrated with worship. There would be prayer. But here's the thing. <clears throat> um, again, getting back to this idea of the Bible, the Bible is not just something you memorize to, to wow other Christians with. The point of studying the word of God is to equip you as a believer to know truth. What is the first thing to die in a godless society? Truth. Kill truth, and then they can do whatever they want. How are you going to know to rebut someone if you don't know truth? You should be able to spot a lie instantly. When someone tells you something that is not godly, that is not righteous, that is not holy. You should be able to spot it in an instant. How many of us today are doing this? Look, I'll just tell you. Um, this is probably the one practice that has died the most in the common church. We still have worship. We still have this facade of prayer. We, we still get together um, <clears throat> you know, in this kind of pseudo-fellowship setting of Sunday morning. Bible study is dead. It is It is literally on life support here. Why? Why study the Bible? Because it threatens... The people who don't want you to read it. So important to be knowledgeable of the word of God. Let's read the next one here. I think, Joel, you're doing this one too. Every scripture that breathed from God is for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. Thank you, sir. That's a really famous one. Theonoustos, that's the Greek. God breathed. I'm not up here telling you my... Well, it's my bend on it. I'm, I'm, I asked God right before this. I'm like, Holy Spirit, I want you, you to speak the word today to our congregation. And I want to empty myself of anything that's Brian. I hope I'm doing that. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the next one here. We'll start to wrap up. Um, <clears throat> this is the one that's in direct contradiction with today. Service and outreach. This was the primary means by which a Christian showed their faith through their actions. You can't have one blade of the scissor without the other. I don't know how else to describe it to you. Faith without works is dead. Your actions as a Christian are the primary means by which you serve God. The Christians of the first, second, and third centuries did not write checks and hope someone else would fix the mess and clean it up. The Christians of the early era were all poor, There were some rich people, yes, it did happen, but even they would be involved in Christian service and outreach. It was direct physical contact and assistance with others. They were cleaning up your filth. They were cleaning your your bedpan and your vomit and your sores. (laughs) This thought that, (laughs) well, what did Jesus do? The thought that Jesus would even say something like, whoa, there's a leper in our midst. Everyone go home cover your mouths, go home, and don't come back for an entire year until the leprosy is gone, and don't touch a leper no matter what you do. The ludicrousness of that is striking. It's ludicrous. Jesus, he is your model. He touched touched the lepers. I can't even tell you. Forget the disease part. The ostracizing of a Jew that would touch a leper. You were out. He did it. He did it. Don't be afraid to be ostracized for doing what Jesus told you to do. And here's the other thing. This was, again, the dirtiest, most difficult jobs. It wouldn't just be the, the most horrible things. You, you would serve meals. But again, this wasn't a once-a-week thing. This wasn't, well, I've got to get my service in for the month. I'm going to go serve burgers for the Saturday. It, you know, I think the Christians of the first century would look at us and be like, where is your church? I don't see a church. It was every day, every day. Sometimes people all day, all night, would be staying with people who were desperately sick, desperately ill to help them. I want to make a comment, too, and this is historically accurate. Um, Again, um, history has shown that in the first, second, and third centuries, primarily the third century, where Christians were involved in outreach to the sickest people of a community having a plague, having an outbreak of some kind of pathogen, The survivorship in those communities was at least double what it was in the communities where there was no help. I want you to think about that for a minute. You're thinking in your mind, I'm afraid, I might get sick, I might die. Yeah, you might. You might get hit by a truck, too. Guess what? History has shown in communities where Christians were actively helping plague victims, you had a better chance of survival. (laughs) Who wants to move to a Christian community? This guy. This guy. And the final thing here is something that challenges all of us. It's something that we have largely abandoned in our our modern era, the sharing of meals. This was probably the only thing that was the most structured part of the whole whole effort. Um, Typically towards the end of the service, all of the Christians would share a meal. Mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, children, grandparents, friends, non-believers. They ate together. That was communion. This isn't communion, folks. This is is nothing like that. You would break bread with your brothers and sisters and and laugh and cry and tell them all of your happenings in your life and share your thoughts and your fears and your dreams. Oh, here's the thing I forgot to say about prayer, and I really want to make this point, too. I know you're like, how many do you want to make? There's a lot. This this is something I've noticed on social media um, in the common era, Someone will post uh, on a church website, I have a prayer request. I have this friend, I'm not gonna name them, it's a friend, and they're struggling uh, with a very serious issue. I'm not gonna tell you what that issue is, God knows. I would like your prayer for them. That was completely unknown to the first century. They never did that. Why? They already knew your problems. Because you were loving on them, day and night, meeting with them, they knew. Joe is lusting after his neighbor's wife. He needs prayer and intervention. Jane cheated a business partner out of some money and feels guilty about that and wants to know what to do. Um, Bob ran over uh, a child. on the way to work this morning and didn't tell anyone because no one saw him what she you knew exactly what they were struggling with and and again getting back to this whole thing of the feast the feast was the big part you shared in the celebration your your cares your concerns everything this was putting it all out there look how happy these people are folks i know i get a lot of crap because i show a lot of old-timey art (laughs) you know it, it makes you feel like it's from the past it is from the past Look how much happiness these guys are having. Look, there's a dude playing the guitar. There's a guy, I don't know what he's doing. He's having some kind of fun. Maybe they're looking for lost change. I don't know. They're happy. They're having a great time. They're together. Look, I don't know about you. The world is a really blankety-blank place right now. And as soon as I leave these doors, I am attacked instantly by the world I need all of the building up I can get, folks. I need you to build me up, and you need me to build, me, to build you up. Without it, we fall apart. You can't, you can't live as a Christian without others. It was never meant to be a solo contest. I need this. This looks amazing. I want to be a part of that. How many people want to be a part of this? Raise your hands if you want to be a part of this amazing thing. Thank you. Thank you. Let's read Acts. My beloved wife. together, and generous Thank you, ma'am. Did I skip the last one? I did, do you wanna read it? Can we go back to the last slide? Sorry, this is what happens. I do it first and it, you know, second time it's always whatever. Okay, go ahead. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid God his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has the ability and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, but is not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Thank you, very good. All right, excellent job. Well. Let's skip ahead to the, the slide of <laughs> the hard part to digest. We have strayed so very far from our roots, folks. This is not church. It ain't. This is, this is nothing about church. It has the word church. Maybe you've got a warm fuzzy inside, like you're doing something churchy. It ain't church. There's nothing to do with church. Here's the comment we have strayed far from our roots, we have a chance to get back. We have a chance. We can fix this. Not gonna be easy. It's gonna take time, but we can do it together. And it's not one person, we're all gonna help. Where do we go from here? Our family will survive. That's your family. Look around, everyone look around right now. This is your family brothers, your sisters, and Christ. Pathway is taking a fresh look at everything. Change has already happened. Now we're trying to get ahead of it. The goal for our organization is to reassess. Look at everything. How can we adapt and evolve to meet the challenges of our future? The Sunday service is going to change. Because, and again, I don't remember if I told this service. One of the startling statistics I saw was something between 60 and 70% of everyone who calls Pathway home, this is your only engagement with your Christian Pathway brothers and sisters during the entire week. If that's true, and this is for most of you, your only engagement with the church, it has to change. Sunday has to change. Now, here is the good news. It's not going to get all blown up at once. You're not going to show up next week, and it's going to be some kind of weird, you know, uh, you know props and, 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 you know, strange people milling about and doing all this weird stuff. We're not going to meet in, the, in a park from here on out or something like that. It's not going to happen, but it is going to change. Small incremental changes over time. We're going we're gonna to be patient. We're going to try new things and see what works, and the promise is if they work, we'll keep them. If they don't, we won't. We will evolve. Focus on engagement. This is is so important. We need to get away from this idea of the show. The show is empty. we got to do something different. Engaging one-on-one, many-on-one, many-with-many. New programs. We might get rid of some programs. We might also change programs. The whole point here is to make Pathway an effective model of discipleship for Christ's church. I I think we're going to do it. I think we're going to make it. I have a great feeling about this. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Dear Heavenly Father, what an awesome role we all have in being a part of your church. Today is the day. We're going to make a change. We're going to make a difference. I trust in you. I trust you and the Holy Spirit to guide us through our faith and our knowledge of truth. We are going to get through this. Thank you, God, for the brothers and sisters that are here today who have chosen to make fellowship a part of their Christian walk. I pray, Lord, that all of us will feel the power of the Holy Spirit as we move forward into the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Go out into the world. Change the world. Have a good week. Oh, well, thank thank you.